This is Retrospective Facilitation, a podcast for facilitators that want to make their retrospectives even more effective. Listen to industry experts, authors, and executives that advocate powerful retros, share their stories and insights on how to reflect, adjust, and become more effective. To receive updates on the latest episodes, subscribe to our newsletter at thisisretrospectivefacilitation.com and win a chance to ask questions to our guests. Have you ever wondered why we need a retrospective book? In this episode, we will chat with Patrick Kua. Patrick is a consultant from Topworks, and he wrote a book about retrospective facilitation, a book that is a good segue out of um, Diana and Esther's book. It's focused on the role of the facilitator and some of the challenges that uh, he faced. And it's a, it's a really interesting book. I hope you guys have a chance to pick it up. In this episode, we will ask him what was the rationale behind putting another book about retrospectives out there. And also if he would change anything since he wrote that book in 2013, if he would change or add anything onto that book. Pat, thank you so much for taking the time to for this interview. Uh, Pat, you wrote a book, The uh, Retrospective Handbook, and uh, that was in 2013, is that correct? Yep, it was a while and, ago. <laughs> and um, I guess the first question I, I have is like, why did you write another book about retrospectives? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, so, uh, and just a by little the way, bit. I love the I love the book, but uh, <laughs> That's I feel like sometimes sometimes when you meet people, they're like, "Oh, really? Retrospectives? And do you really need a book about retrospectives?" Yeah, and, uh, I, yeah. I interviewed uh, Diana Larson, and she was saying that when they were writing their book in '07, people were like, "Really, you need a book about retros? Isn't just three questions?" <laughs> and I found your book touches on really interesting topics, and I'd like uh, you to share uh, some of that with the audience. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. And, and I think maybe uh, to understand where the book comes from, it probably helps to um, understand what I've sort of been doing. Uh, I'm kind of lucky in that I fell into agile software development very early. So I've been doing sort of agile software development since I started working, uh, almost since I started working. Uh, and I joined my first team, I think it was probably about 2000 and I don't know, like three, four quite a while ago, uh, um, where we started doing retrospectives. Um, and, you know, I think for, for people, when they start out and doing retrospectives, I think they're probably that same example of like, oh, why do you even need a book like this? But um, I think like everything, there's interesting skills to master. Um, and uh, after you do retrospectives for a while, I, I think a lot of people being part of a retrospective, you feel this the same way, right? Which is like, oh, it's getting a bit boring. How do you keep it exciting? Um, you know, if you end up rotating the facilitator role, it's like, how do you uh, um, make it more interesting and vary it up, but still keep the same sort of uh, idea to it? Um, and I think for me, uh, I was working as a consultant at the time, and I moved across to uh, different teams and different organizations. And that's where I got to see a real contrast, particularly about, depending on the facilitator, how effective or how ineffective it was. Um, and actually, I still remember a really significant event when I joined a client and it was back then, you had project managers everywhere. Uh, and I had a very strong-willed project manager uh, trying to run a retrospective for a client, um, or he was part of the client. 
And I was like, wow, this is like one of the worst retrospectives I've ever been of. Like, I don't want to take tech part. I don't know how safe anyone else is feeling, but like somebody needs to help people like this understand how, how come what the spirit... how come was uh how come was uh the, the the worst retrospective uh so if you can imagine um sitting in a room and everyone is like facing towards this one person uh as if it was like a a, a classroom uh and then literally you would get a finger pointed at you and they would say enrico tell me one thing that went well, right? Like, it's like, whoa, okay, like, this is, you know, and then we'd have to wait until he wrote things down onto the whiteboard. It was just very controlled, and, uh, um, you know, there wasn't the the atmosphere. It was that everyone could take part. Uh, and for me, there was, like, the same thing about all types of practices, the same thing about things like, you know, Scrum by the book is that you can do these activities, but if you forget about the spirit behind them and if you don't know how to execute them well, you miss the value from that. And I think that's the same thing that, um, you know, facilitation, I think, takes expertise and skills and there's whole organizations and uh, communities built around facilitation. Um, and so, you know, I was lucky enough to join one of the retrospective facilitators gathering um, uh, very early on on my uh, path of learning more about retrospectives. And, and I really appreciated the value and the diversity of approaches of how people could do these effectively. Uh, and, you know, having seen a lot of people start down the path of trying out with retrospectives, I was kind of like, oh, you know, there's lots of interesting things that I've experimented with that I've learned from other people that I could share. Um, and that's kind of the birth of the retrospective handbook, right? To sort of give people uh, who've been doing retrospectives a while answers to common problems they have but they don't know maybe who to go to um or how to get them answered um yeah. so that's awesome. kind of the origins of the book yeah it's it's really great um i like that it's focused on the role of the facilitator um one thing that i like as well you have a chapter about uh, preparation yes and how important it is and i feel oftentimes that you kind of like i've been in retrospectives where the facilitator is just like googling like sailboat and is putting like drawing a sailboat on the board and trying <laughs> to explain it to the group and no one really understands what's going on yes and there's this misconception about retrospective activities. Oh, you just go on retro mat, you create yep. a random retro, and that's your retro. Yes. Versus uh, what I've been doing, what other people out there have been doing, which is one of the reasons I started this podcast, is like, okay, let's spend like half an hour before our weekly hour, hour and a half, or whatever, uh, and just prepare. And yes. then can you tell us a little bit about the spirit of that chapter and what uh, your approach is? Yeah, absolutely. So I think for me, retrospectives, are, uh, when they're done well, are like an effective meeting done really well. And um, when I was learning about, you know, running meetings in general, uh, one of the key steps is really about the preparation. And I think people don't realize that retrospective, like even a daily stand-up or, um, you know, a planning session, you to make the most of the time of the people in that meeting, you as the facilitator wants to create the right space so that they can all take part as best as they can. And, you know, it's a waste um, of, I think, people's time when the person who's organizing the meeting is sort of starting to set up the meeting while people are there. And that's kind of the essence. It's really a, a time-saving thing. It's a, the idea of like multiplying the effectiveness of people. Um, and I think that's the big difference is it's really to help people who are thinking about how to make a retrospective really effective, what they can do before they get into the room to really think about uh, how to make the most of people's time. Um, and so when I sort of 
do trainings and help people understand how to prepare for this, there's things like, okay, what is the exercises that you're planning on running? What's the flow and how do these things start and connect together? What are the materials that you need um, to make that exercise ready, right? So I've been in some retrospectives where it's like, during it, the people are going, oh, does anyone have sticky notes? Does anyone have markers? Of course, you lose a lot of the time as people are collecting material, people lose interest because, uh, um, you know, uh, some people have gone to get stuff, you're waiting for other people to come back, and uh, it's frankly a lot of waste of time. <laughs> and it's not an effective retrospective. And, you know, I've sat in other retrospectives where, like, everything is set up for everyone to arrive. The the uh, facilitator can start very well by really setting the scene and opening up the space, um, creating a place for people to start reflecting and to tap into the sort of insights. And that takes time to build up. Um, and so that's kind of some of the elements I think that I was really trying to get in that chapter of really what are the things uh, that you need to do before you get there? So things like, you know, is that the right meeting room space, right? So, or are you running a retrospective in the open where, which might affect people's safety of wanting to discuss topics? Um, have you thought about the exercises and the uh, equipment that you need as part of the materials? So maybe you need some pre-printed out posters or something ready to sort of put up there. Um, but it's really the facilitator's role to make sure that all of that is done so that people can focus on the conversation the most and not be distracted. Awesome. Um, yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah, I like I like when when we prepare to kind of use that time to do like conversations. I think you mentioned that in the book, like having one on one with the team, kind of like yeah. gauging a little bit of what you're getting into, uh, yes. versus sometimes you're going cold, you don't really have context, which I mean it can be as an emergency kind of situation. But um, so I like the idea of like us being able to to do that that step. But I guess one thing that uh, sometimes uh, strikes me is how people are, uh, are kind of like uh, focused on their three questions, like what went well, what mm -hmm. didn't go so well, what can we change? And I think yes. you mentioned that in the book as well. There is more to that. It's not just about uh, a generic whack-a-mole where we try and <laughs> fix everything, uh, yes. but rather uh, something else. So what is your experience in that? And can you share some insights? Yeah. No, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think... Uh... At the essence of it, there are those three core questions, particularly when you start to introduce the retrospective practice. I think one of the things that is it's useful to do is actually to create a very positive atmosphere, right? Because I think for me, retrospective is really a tool of autonomy that you're giving a team the opportunity to shape the way that they would like to work, you know, to take action and empower people. Um, you know, and I think that's kind of one of the first purposes that I like with introducing retrospectives is that, you know, as a group, people can discuss things, but actually when they take actions away, or when they think about changes, it's actually the things that they themselves should do, right? So I think it's a little bit of a smell if a retrospective is starting to generate work for other people and only work for other people. Um, because I think for me, it's really about creating that, that, uh, environment of empowerment, um, and in order to do that, you know, for some groups uh, who are facilitated, sometimes it's about helping people as part of that journey realize they have the ability to do things themselves that actually change the situation that might mean things are much more effectively. Um, you know, uh, I've done some sort of end of project retrospectives as well. And I think those things are actually really nice to uh, make sure that you also celebrate things because I think sometimes in the haste of getting stuff done, uh, people don't celebrate and recognize things that have happened. 
um, perhaps for less successful projects or times. Uh, perhaps it's also useful as a process of mourning, right? So of like uh, sort of coming to closure and letting people discuss topics that they felt never really got to address. Um, it's a bit sometimes a bit treacherous to go in that direction because it can become a little bit maybe too much therapy, which I don't think is the purpose of retrospectives. But I think to a certain degree of actually bringing closure can actually be quite useful. Um, I heard of one retrospective where I think some people constructed a house metaphor of the uh, um, project that they were working on. Uh, and because it wasn't such a great thing, they actually set it on fire as a way to close off the entire thing. I thought that was such an interesting kind of uh, nice. metaphor and exercise. Um, nice. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I think the retrospective goes beyond the three questions and I think it will depend on the group. If it's a new practice, if it's an existing practice, uh, sometimes, um, and I really think it's very important to change up the exercises because I think different questions ask people to look at things from a different perspective. And that's what I really love about it. Nice. Yeah. And another thing that I, I was trying to kind of get out there with the podcast is like, there's a lot of focus on retrospective activities as in like, oh, there's sailboat, there's frame, there's a timeline, <laughs> oh, there's a timeline retrospective. It's a yes. sailboat retrospective. It's a yes. mad side glad retrospective. That's the retrospective versus yes. uh, frameworks like the five steps from Dana and, and Esther. And they, um, I think they, they mentioned Ored. Uh, they mention uh, other other bits and pieces that um, yep. also the book from Sam Kainer that I think you mentioned in your book. Um, so maybe like that part to me is the foundation yes. on top of which we put activities. Um, yes. Do you want to like share your thoughts and some? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think uh, it's a natural process of learning. Um, so I think when people start learning, uh, they, you know, follow the rules, right? They do what everyone else does. And that's quite natural of saying, okay, well, part of facilitating retrospective means picking an activity. So I go out and look for activities. I think as you get better as a uh, facilitator, as you develop skills, you realize the tools or the activities that you choose are really just a vehicle for the conversation. Um, and I think that's the, that's the greatness of the sort of five steps of like Diana and uh, um, Esther's kind of uh, retrospective outline of really that's helping you navigate the group conversation to get to a result um, by making sure that people are moving at the same pace. And then the different activities are there to really help you at different points. And I think this is the question that I always ask new facilities to think about is, why do you pick this activity? What perspective do you hope to get differently with this thing? Or what purpose does it serve as part of the overall retrospective? Yeah, totally. Um, one thing I, I liked, uh, I think I learned it only about last year, was about the um, single loop learning, double loop learning, and mm, the yes. diamond of participatory decision making by yes. Sam Kainer. And I think in that sense, I find that um, once we're focused on something, so once the group have found like some common ground on, hey, yes. this is the, the thing we want to tackle versus trying yes. whack a mole two minutes on, on everything, then we yep. can maybe like pick an activity to diverge mm. and then pick something to let us converge onto some decision points. Um, but yeah, that, that I feel it's where regardless of the activity you pick, uh, I felt you, you get most out of it. And those things are, I think, um, mentioned in your book, mentioned in Esther's book, uh, but often maybe we lose, we lose sight of that. And one other thing I've, I've asked, um, 
Linda Rising is how do we change retrospectives? Because uh, as a as a individual contributor, as a as an engineer, I was like having struggling. Like, okay, well, there's a product manager, there's like a um, someone else facilitating. What what should I do? And I just started doing it. And as I say, how, how about we try this other thing? Yeah. Uh, and I think for the audience out there, it's like um, just like even if you're not a Scrum master, just like try other things. And yes, what are, what are your thoughts on that? No, I think it's super healthy. I mean, I think sometimes people get really fixated with this activity is my activity. But I've always worked in teams where, you know, you work in a team because you want to leverage different strengths and skills uh, the best that you can. Uh, and I, I actually think it's healthy to rotate activities because A, uh, it means that when somebody is away on holidays or if they're sick, uh, things kind of continue going on. Do you mean um, facilitator? Yes, okay. yeah, uh, like a facilitator. Um, but I mean, this is true for all types of activities in general. I think it's good for everyone to share. Um, and I think, you know, uh, like yourself, when you stepped into uh, a volunteer to sort of take over or try facilitating, uh, you will have learned some new skills as well, right? Like mm -hmm. uh, you'll start to realize actually uh, um, navigating and, and sort of facilitating the, the group conversation as it expands and contracts is like a skill itself that you can also then learn. Uh, so I think um, that that role of rotation also offers people uh, new uh, skills to develop. Um, and I think my advice for anyone that's thinking about this and aren't facilitating yet is that I've actually found developing skills as a facilitator have really been really powerful tools to work with as a leader. Um, so I think some of the skills that you develop uh, if you continue down practicing retrospective facilitation are things like, you know, very strong active listening skills, right? You have to be listening for what's not being said sometimes in a retrospective uh, and sort of make sure you maybe ask an interesting question to surface something that people weren't yet maybe comfortable saying immediately uh, or a saying between the words. Um, you know, making sure that people feel listened to and reflecting things back and creating that space, I think, are super uh, powerful uh, um, uh, um, skills. Uh, and, yeah, you sort of stepping into the facilitator role means that you get to develop those skills and practice those skills. Nice. Um, so I think in, in your book, um, you, or actually it was a presentation, uh, you talked about... Um, the importance of focusing on principles rather than tools. Yes. Uh, what do you think is yes. the principle of a retrospective? Uh, so I think there's a, oh, oh, that's a good question. I don't know if there's one principle, but I, I guess for me, <laughs> uh, I guess the principle of a retrospective for me is the principle of continuous improvement, right? Nice. So I, I think uh, if I was to summarize it, for me, that's the vehicle. I think there was a conference once that I was at, I can't remember, it was an XP something conference. And I think somebody said, which practice would you, uh, if you could only choose one practice out of a methodology, what would it be? And I think there was a unanimous kind of feeling from a lot of people, the retrospective would be part of it. Because with that, you could then, you know, adapt your process to pick up other practices depending on what your problems or issues were. Um, and so I think the principle of continuous improvement is kind of there. And I think that's why some retrospective flounder is that they spend too much time perhaps on the collecting or issuing of, of um, addressing of, uh, of issues or discussion of issues without then stepping onto the next step of what do we do? Uh, 
Um, other ones maybe jump too quickly into what do we do without actually discussing what is the common theme and do we agree we're sort of solving that common topic, right? Yeah. So do we have different perspectives? Yeah, even being, uh, but I think, even being on the same page, I often find maybe it's not it's not happening. So we, I think you mentioned that in your book when uh, there is like mm. a excessive action and not enough talking or yes. too much talking, not enough action. I don't know which one yeah. is, uh, is more like uh, misleading, but I, I find in my experience... I find mostly like there's a lot of action happening, but there's not a lot of talking. So people are not really on the same page. We don't dig into the yes. deeper problems. Yeah, I mean, I think both of them are, are really issues. Um, mm. But I think that's part of the art of the retrospective of sometimes, you know, it's about giving people that space to dive deeper. As you mentioned earlier, you know, rather than spending two minutes on everything, you might want to focus for a retrospective on a few key topics that seem to be boiling. Um, you know, and there'll be times in a product or a team where you kind of need to address the elephant in the room that maybe nobody's talking about and spend that time. And then, you know, as things hopefully change, then you can address those other topics. Um, but I think that's kind of like really the spirit of retrospectives of really that continuous improvement. And also the fact that you can change it again, right? So I think that's the other side is that I think a lot of people think about changes as permanent. But actually, uh, the point of the retrospective is you get to continue to change it, right? Like, so if something's not working, then maybe go back and try something else. It's, and that's okay. It's also the point of Agile, maybe. Like, nothing yeah. really. Uh, I feel sometimes like Agile is the answer. But really, it's just like, I guess, the, the way to, to get to a answer for today exactly. or for, for this week yes. or for this, this year. Yeah, um, yeah, cool. definitely. And it'll change again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and just like the way you, and I think re- the, the, what I like the retrospective is just it's a way to, to look back, a way to kind of like uh, reflect and adjust without blaming. Um, yes. One thing you mentioned in the book is uh, Ofsted's cultural dimensions. Uh, yes. I learned it through, through your book and I, I found it really interesting. It's uh, something to be aware as a, as a facilitator. Uh, do you want to like briefly describe that to, to the audience? Yeah. Yeah, so Hofsted is a researcher um, that has um, developed, I think, a whole organization now that does training around this. Um, uh, And their research was kind of talking about how do nations and the cultures of those nations uh, differ in specific ways. And so in their model, uh, they describe, I think it's five different uh, sort of characteristics of uh, different types of cultures. And um, these are sort of connected to the nations of those cultures. And um, of course, there are some sort of similarities, um, but it's quite useful to sort of understand that, you know, the behaviors of people will be often uh, influenced by their upbringing and culture that they have. So uh, one of the cultures that they talk about, or so one of the characteristics in the model that they talk about is something called power distance index. Or you can kind of think about how formal or informal people treat um, Uh, sort of levels of titles and things like this. So for instance, in um, India or Asia, East Asia, uh, you tend to have a lot more of a hierarchical authoritative style where, you know, you don't ever dispute, and this is generalizations, but you don't dispute, you know, what a senior perhaps says. Uh, Whereas perhaps something in more American style or British, I know this uh, having spent a lot of time there, you know, if you disagree with your manager, you can kind of tell them mostly, right? Like there's no... You don't have to worry about saving face. You don't, not so much. I mean, you should still be polite, but uh, disagreeing openly is a lot more accepted. Um, and so it's interesting when you take that into a group conversation, because 
once again, in today's age of technology where everyone has so many different backgrounds, um, you have so many different, and you know, maybe teams are doing distributed retrospectives with people across different nations, right? But then you have to think about, are they quite on the other side of the phone because of the title or is it that they don't have anything to say, right? Like there's all these different things that you as a facilitator uh, should be aware of because you need to sort of compensate for that um, or account for that in the way that you navigate the group conversation. So I, I really like the model, um, A, for building empathy um, uh, across um, people. And also uh, it really helps you as a facilitator in your preparation, like we were talking about earlier, to sort of think about um, what should you be expected to sort of uh, what behaviors would you expect to perhaps see based on the different types of uh, nationalities that you have? Nice. Awesome. Yeah, I really liked his, his research. I, uh, I found it relates to, I, I lived in Europe, I'm Italian, but I lived in Australia mm. for six years. I've been in the US for oh, six wow. years. So it's uh, yes. some of those lessons resonate. And I think you mentioned that uh, that research in the remote in the remote retrospective chapter when you obviously yes. have more, you're more likely to have people from different um, yeah. from different sides of, uh, of the world. Cool. Exactly. Cool, cool. Um, so I think we're uh, almost uh, up with our time. I have a, uh, another question here in my in my list. Where is okay. it? I think it was around the, like a, a challenging, a story for a challenging retrospective that you had, uh, if you want to share with the audience and what you learned uh, from it. Oh, uh, it's a good one. Uh, so I think uh, one of the challenging retrospectives, and I would say it's uh, um, it's one of those ones because it doesn't happen so often, right? So uh, I was uh, asked once to run a retrospective for a sort of very large group, uh, and it was probably about sort of 90 people. <laughs> By yourself? Yeah. Uh, yes, by myself. Uh, and uh, I Can think you clone yourself? There, uh, <laughs> I, I, I did reel in a few people to help at least run a couple of the different activities from the group itself. Uh, but, you know, it was a bit of an unusual one because it wasn't really a sort of formal team thing, but it was a more like an event type of retrospective. Um, and so I think what was kind of fun with that is that, uh, you know, A, I was lucky that the event was very fun. So uh, you had a lot of engaged people um, and it was sort of trying to wrap up uh, how would you rerun the sort of event and get feedback. Uh, from that sort of perspective. Uh, but for me, that was probably one of the, I hadn't ever run like a large scale retrospective like this one before. Uh, and it was kind of interesting of trying to work out uh, and plan <laughs> uh, um, what activities, how to break up the group, how to get groups to sort of report back in um, and to balance that thing of diverging, as you said before, and then converging and then also getting sort of agreement as to sort of next steps and to distill, you know, lots of feedback and lots of information at the same time. So that was a very uh, exciting uh, and sort of challenging retrospective for me personally. Nice. How long was uh, that? How many hours did you have? Uh, I think we had about two hours. Cool. Yeah, I'll have uh, someone from uh, a consultancy called Agile42. They wrote a blog post about uh, having a retrospective with a group of like, I think 60 or 70 people. And it's really okay. interesting. Uh, I'll, I'll share it on this uh, on this podcast. They they've had like uh, multiple um, diamond of participatory decision making yes. based on the group. So they broke up three objectives. 
They had uh-huh. three diamonds. They diverged, converged. Uh, but I'll, I'll have them on the show so they can share more more insights. And they have they had like I think three or four facilitators helping out. So wow, I think, amazing! I think you're a superhero. <laughs> I was just lucky. I think it went well. <laughs> nice, uh, cool. So the last three questions I ask to all our guests are uh, the following. The first one is, uh, which one is your favorite retrospective activity, and if you have a story about it? Ooh, uh, so I probably have to say one of my favorites is probably the starfish. So uh, it was one of the first ones that I wrote up on my blog. Uh, I can't actually take credit for it. Uh, I think I remember somebody uh, that I worked with who'd come back from a conference and they introduced it. And uh, me having a bad memory, I wanted to make sure that I remembered how to run it. <laughs> so I wrote up uh, a blog post, uh, I think it was back in 2012 or something like this anyway, uh, about running uh, the Starfish retrospective, uh, which gets referred to quite a lot. So that's probably my favorite one. Nice. Um, actually, I forgot one other question is like, which is was like, uh, you wrote a book in 2013. Is there anything that uh, in the last uh, five, six years, uh, you, if you wrote the book today, you would have added to the book? Uh, I think one of the sections that um, I was uh, um, uh, conscious of trying to put in or not, it was really about tools, particularly for distributed retrospectives. Uh, and I think actually it's come a long way. Um, I mean, uh, Retromat didn't exist either for even cataloging of different activities and things like that. So simply references and things uh, have changed as have the tools because uh, particularly in today's age where more people are doing remote working, where teams are really very, very distributed. Uh, I think there's a lot more people who've experimented and tried uh, different tools. So that's probably the thing that I would update. Nice. Awesome. And back to the last two questions now. Um, what is a book that you are reading right now? Uh, one of the books that I'm reading at the moment is Joy, Inc. Uh, uh, and it actually connects very well to retrospectives. Uh, I'm just starting it off. And uh, um, it's talking about the introduction of XP to an environment where uh, they're working in very waterfallish type uh, environments. Uh, and they've just gone on trying uh, a week of extreme programming, including retrospectives, uh, and uh, it went very well. Ah. So, uh, so, yeah. so is it like Project Phoenix kind of thing, kind of like a story? Uh, no, so uh, Joy Inc., uh, from what I understand, is really about how to build companies who are optimized for joy. So, nice. uh, you know, in today's age, obviously, businesses are typically optimized for profit-making, uh, but I think more and more you hear a lot more about purpose or mission-driven uh, organizations other than uh, making money. Um, and uh, this is the tale of a person who is well-known for apparently building companies where people uh, have joy at work, which is great. Nice. Awesome. And the final question, Pat, is what is your favorite dish? What is my favorite dish, as in what I like to eat? Mm-hmm. Ooh, uh, that's a really hard one. Uh, oh. I love food, so uh, all types of food. So it's very hard to to sort of uh, guess. But uh, if you had to force me, I think it's not really a dish, but a more of an item is that I'm a big sucker for ice cream. So I'm Australian. Uh, and I think after the US, Australians eat the, the second most amount of ice cream in the world per litre per, per person uh, because of both weather and perhaps, you know, a lot of Italian people with gelatos, but... Uh, um, I'm a big sucker for ice cream. Nice. So. Awesome. Yes. Um, Pat, 
thank you so much for taking the time. Um, anything else that you want to share with the audience before we stop recording? Uh, no, thanks you. Uh, really appreciate the conversation and thanks for having me. Cool. Our guests share lots of insights and ideas. Which change are you going to try in your next retrospective? Tell us on Twitter with hashtag thisisretrospectivefacilitation or leave us a comment on thisisretrospectivefacilitation.com You can connect with Patrick on Twitter at patkua. Norm Kurt, known as the father of retrospectives and author of the book Project Retrospectives, suffered a disabling brain injury in a car accident 20 years ago. Visit thisisretrospectivefacilitation.com slash helpnorm for details and a link on how to contribute to his fund. Thank you for listening. This is Enrico Teotti. Till next time.